she may not even be aware that anything negative is happening at all. This is somebody who's totally out of touch, that they're being hurt or, you know, that they're shutting down. She tolerates behaviors, attitudes, and words she should not be putting up with. She literally does not feel what's happening to her. Almost as if she was relationally anesthetized. Wow. Isn't that a good I, I observed a couple at a party who showed this dynamic in front of other people. He made a joke and called her a dog. And to my astonishment, that wouldn't make for a happy ride home. <laughs> to my astonishment and sadness, she then said, woof, woof. In guise of being a good sport, she allowed what she should not have allowed. At some level, she may not have been aware that it was damaging because she then made a comment about how she's an open person with thick skin. I suppose that is possible, but for my money, she was humili humiliated by her friend who supposedly loved her, living in a state of relational anesthesia occurs slowly over time. You try to be the bigger person, the grown-up. You try not to overreact emotionally. You don't want to be a you want to be a, you don't want to be a whiner or be seen as a high maintenance or sensitive. You simply get used to it and try to ignore it so that you can function in the relationship without a lot of emotional conflict. In the end, this is not good for you. You need to feel good when you're loved, bad, and when you're mistreated. And then you're in touch with yourself and with reality and you can make better decisions about your relationship. Mm, wow. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. That you can actually get to a place where you're not just totally out of touch with what's going on. And in a relationship, in a relationship, obviously it was abusive. Mm -hmm. And just to tell yourself, you know, don't would you hurt, don't be a whiner, mm -hmm. you know, blah blah blah, and permitted it so you can actually get to a place where you're anesthetized and nothing touches you. So that's one of the things that we're dealing with here, guys. But what's amazing is that, listen guys, there are powers in this room around all of us to keep out the truth. Do we know that? I'm going to say it again so everybody can hear me. Do you realize there's powers around all of us to keep out the truth? Men, women? I mean, it takes God time to get through to get through all the defenses we have to make us realize how isolated we are or what condition we're in. Okay, real quick guys, I'm gonna move fast tonight so you're gonna help me, right? Yes. Why am I handing out this, why am I handing out this copy of Matthew 16, 13 to 19 and Matthew 18? Now isn't this interesting what you're gonna hear about, talking about tonight, why would I bring this up? Well, if you were around at, the, at prayer time last year at all, some of you may remember, uh, I know I talked about it one prayer time, and Pastor James talked about it as well. We talked about the whole Matthew 16 where Jesus was talking to Caesarea Philippi. And if you remember, Caesarea Philippi was like going to Vegas. I mean, there was it was the it was the darkest place where there was there was worship of Baal. It was the wall of God. I mean, it was a really, really the most decadent place you could go to. And interestingly, that Jesus purposely took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And if you remember, this is the place where he says, you know, what, who do people say that I am? You remember that discourse and remembers Peter who says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and let's look at that. He says, uh, verse 18, this is Matthew 16. And I say to you that you're Peter and on this, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, death will not overcome it by preventing the resurrection of the Christ. I will give you the keys, authority of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will be already abound in heaven, and whatever you loose, permit, declare, lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Now, isn't it interesting? 
Two chapters later, let's take a look. Two cha- First of all, remember, right before Matthew 16, Jesus has already told them that the prayer is that you need to pray the kingdom of God on the earth. So now he tells them, he tells them, he's talking about uh, what he's here to do, that Peter is the rock and that he's building his church. This word is ekklesia. And ekklesia in the Greek and the Hebrew, they would have been very familiar with this word. It was basically a, a ruling council. And so we're all thrown off by the word church there because really it's ekklesia in Greek. And it really, it really stands for like a ruling council. So they would have heard like a governmental group, a ruling council. That, that's what the disciples would have heard. They didn't know what a church was. He didn't say, I'm going to build my church. What, that, what would that have meant to them at the time? And then he goes on to say, I'm going to give you the keys. And then he goes on. So now he tells them this. They have this, you know, this revelation of Peter's. <coughs> two chapters later, how interesting. Now he goes, we, we see, um, we see them, uh, Jesus talking about, now if your brother sins, this is verse 15, you go show him his fault in private. If he listens, you pay it and pays attention to you. You've won back your brother. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Most of you know mm-hmm. what that what those verses are. I'm going to drop I'm going to drop down to verse 18. I assure you, and most solemnly say to you, whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and un- unlawful on earth shall already have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose, permit, declare lawful on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that two believers on earth agree in their mind and in harmony about anything they ask, it will be done for them by their Father in heaven. <coughs> now, why in heaven would I bring this up here? Well, let me tell you why I'm bringing this up here. I'm bringing it up here because I repeat over and over again into the powers of darkness around this whole issue. This isn't a self-help group. This isn't about psychology. This is the deepest, this is the deepest core of the, uh, of the truth of God, which is, at its very heart, relationships. The Bible, from the beginning to the end, is a, bu- is a book about relationships. If there's anything the devil wants to do, what does he want to do to the people out there that are in the world? He wants to stop them from what? Having a relationship with Christ, right? And he can stop us from having a relationship with Christ, and then he wants to stop us from getting the fuel of having human relationships on a deep level. Remember that that uh, Henry Cloud talks is like a cell phone. If I turn my cell phone, if I if I you're on a plane, you turn your phone on. Well, you can get your calendar and you can get your you know you can get some of your. But you're not going to get if you're not connected to a source outside yourself, yeah. outside this phone. I um, mean, you can still use a few things, but it'll never grow. It'll never. Uh, be able to do the things it's really can do and capable of doing, but it'll be li- very limited when it has its old programs. It's never going to be able to move and, and improve with any new programs, right? So this is very much, uh, Henry uses it all the time as an illustration of the fact that we are created to continually be in touch with, in, in touch with another source, a source that's outside ourselves. And I thought about this today, and I thought, of all people, shouldn't we as Christians, don't we believe that invisible powers change the visible? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do we? Yes. yes Do we believe that invisible powers are moved when we pray? That's don't right. we believe yes. that? I mean, of yeah. all people, don't we believe That's that right. this invisible powers and that those, when that power, when we connect with that power, things change? Mm-hmm. Well, God is saying to us, there is an invisible power 
in our connections with not not just of course with him but also with one another yes. that literally change us and transform us remember i say it over and again over and over again you cannot be changed or transformed outside of relationship with god and with other people you want to go off by yourself and you know, it's like taking Henry says, take your finger that's that's infected, put it in a drawer and close the drawer and hope it gets better. No, take the finger, put it back on the hand, let it feel, let it get in touch with the rest of the body and the rest of the forces of the body, and healing will come to that finger. Amen. And so, brothers and sisters, we're fighting against um, a very perverted theology that I believe in the church that just doesn't understand this. That there is power. God has put us in relationship. And look at Matthew 18. This is there's only two times where he's talking about binding and loosing. Right here, he's talking about prayer. He's saying first time he's talking about I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Now he brings it up two chapters later. He brings it up again. But what does he bring it up in context to now? Relationships. In other words, it's not just about. It's not just about the, the community. It's not, I actually, I want to actually write you the way I actually said it. And how can you rule? Um, how can you rule in prayer when you hate your brother? Mm. This is what God's saying. In other words, the the condition relationally. He. In other words, it's interesting to say. Do you think love is so vital? Do you think that the Lord is naive to human behavior? I mean, he's got it here right next to prayer, the most essential thing. If we are an ecclesia that have authority to change things, one of the reasons I believe we don't see the kind of power that God wants us to see on this earth, we're supposed to be the people that do kingdom, that bring heaven, heaven, heaven's business here on earth. But we don't have power when relationally as a community, we are... We are not where we need to be when we're not in harmony. That's what this is talking about. Being in harmony together, uh, bonded together and in harmony together. He's saying that it's going to absolutely affect, um, it's not the substance of our prayer, but the constitution of our community. Mm-hmm. Not just, the, not just the, the substance of our prayer, but the constitution of our community. So what would you think Satan's big goal would be to keep us from having power in prayer? Mm. How about a husband and wife? How about a family? How about a church? Mm-hmm. What do you think he would do to keep us from having the kind of prayer, power in prayer? So I bring this tonight. It, it's really, I got a lot of subjects to, uh, you know, stuff to, I want to cover tonight. But I want you to understand, this is not self-help, this is not psychology, this is the core of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Relationships, how many would say, I mean, right now, right now, we're going to talk about the four, uh, the, poor, the four different corners of connection. You are just disconnected with no connection, a bad connection, a pseudo-good connection, and a true connection. Right now, every relationship you and I have is one of those corners is at one of those points. And just like we talked about relational anesthesia, the problem is we, I mean, the the glory of it is, and and the redemption is that God's going to help us to see what the distinctions are, and we're going to find out how often 
just like Laura said, just how, how often we're struggling with things because I've got a lot of handouts tonight, sorry. Um, how often we are struggling with things that we do not realize come from, come from the root. At, we're either in a disconnected place and isolated, or we're in a bad connection. We're going to talk about those tonight. I hope we're going to finish them tonight. Or you're in a, we're in a pseudo-good connection. I want to spend a little time and talk about what is a true connection. How many of you were here the night I took the piece of paper about the woman who was, we got it here somewhere, right, Joe? The woman who um, had the weight loss. Mm-hmm. Remember an, an article I got from Charisma? And basically what it said was, pray more, mm-hmm. be more committed, and and uh, that was basically the steps. And, you know, pray more, be more committed, be accountable, and, lo- and you'll lose the weight. Mm-hmm. And I ripped it up. Because honestly, that's exactly the kind of theology that's gotten us all depressed, Mm -hmm. discouraged. That is not the New Testament answer. That is is looking, we'll talk about it. Tonight I want to touch that. I want to give you the exact opposite. What What if that's not the answer, using my willpower, then what is the answer? And how is the, how does God help us in those, in the, what is a four, what's a corner for true connection look like when I've got, it, I want you to think tonight of something in your life, some relationship in your life, some gap between where you are now and where you'd like to be. Some place in your life that you're saying, I would like this to be different. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at, when we look at a corner for relationship, now remember something, foremost, we're talking about a relationship with, with Jesus. So we're talking about a vertical relationship. How many know we can have a disconnected relationship with him? Am I right? Yeah. We can have a bad relation, a bad connection with him. Certainly not at his end, right? But we can have a bad connection. We'll talk about what that may look like. We can have a, a pseudo-good connection. We can talk about what that may look like. And we can have, of course, what we all want is a true connection with him. Abide in the vine. We want to be people that know how to to live in Christ. You know, I'm, I, just as before I hand these out, uh, when I was talking to my boundaries class on Saturday, something has come to me that I kind of never have quite seen before, and I haven't even been able to put it in words yet, kind of clearly, but I realized that in the garden, one of the things that we lost in the garden was safety. When Adam and Eve fell, they lost the safety of being in God and the safety in relationships. And one of the things that tipped me off was in a book I was reading many, many years ago, they was talking, they were re, um, they had a, a discussion between a husband and wife, actually it was an argument between a husband and wife. And at one point, the author was explaining, you know, what was going on in the argument, how the power con- control was going on between, how they were trying to control each other and, and that kind of thing. And then he said, but suddenly, as she started to say, well, then I'll kill myself. And, and it started to really escalate. And then the author said, they just reverted back to a, they reverted back to safety in their conversation, and I realized I don't. Lord, give me the power. Give me help to say this because I'm, I'm really fumbling with it. I'm working with it. I think you can. I think you can trans. I think you can um, use the word safety, safety to describe what peace, what peace is. Do you know there's something inside of each one of us that's constantly looking. To, be, to get to our place of well-being. Something goes on and we're disturbed, 
there's an internal thing going all the t- on all the time that you're trying to get back to that place of safety. Something happens, we feel nervous, we get afraid, we're trying. There's some internal process that's going on all the time that's trying, that, that, that is pulling us, looking for that place of peace again and rest. And that's amazing that Jesus says, I'm the anchor of your soul. Ah, you have, you have a place of rest under my wings that nothing can disturb you from. So he talks about that kind of a peace and that kind of safety. But they didn't just walk out of safety in, the, in Genesis from with him. They left safety with each other. And since then, we're deathly afraid of each other. We're deathly afraid. And we're all, when we're in relationships, what we're, and that's why when you're having a heated conversation, underneath the conversation of the words, everybody's trying to get back to safety. Does this make any sense to you? Yes. There's a part of you that's going like, there's a part of you that knows this is really, uh, this is rocking us, right? And we're trying to get back to a place of safety. It's one of the things that we're doing and talking about relationships is bringing this stuff out into the light. And I had a great video with the Boundaries group. And when you do Boundaries, you'll be able to see it or I can make it available. And it was, it was so good. What we need to do is learn how to have these conversations and understand these dynamics so that when we're having conversations, we are recognizing that we're not, that, how are you doing? Are you safe? Do you feel any safe mm-hmm. right now in this conversation? Or is there something going on? We've got to understand that beyond the words, underneath, the real issue is, I'm not feeling, I'm, I, this is scaring me. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, how, how many of you can relate to that, right? Yes. Okay. So I, I just want us to know that um, this stuff is just so absolutely, absolutely where we live. And this is bigger than, you know, again, this isn't just us having a great, happy life, you know. This is about deep spiritual issues, about learning to walk with God, have an inner sense of being at home, and being able to be a safe person and be able to have, in our relationships, <coughs> to be able to, to make a, a safe environment, um, for, uh, to have a safe environment for ourselves and for our relationships. Mm-hmm. Okay. John's going to stand up and just tell, say something for us uh, as we just move on to the next part. John, say that nice and loud. All I was saying was just, you know, in this Matthew 18 handout, it just struck me before that when we were talking about relationship built into prayer in that whole section, and what I thought of is that last verse, you know, which we all know, two or three are gathered in my name, you know, I am there, and, and it just, it struck me that it could have very easily been the Holy Spirit could have prompted, you know, that, that writing to be where one of you decides to pray in my name and stand on these promises, you know, that the, but he, that's not what happened, because to me, this this last verse is like an exclamation point of all the stuff before it, it's like relationship tied to prayer, and it does not, you don't have the same power if you do it by yourself, but when you come together, it's not really that you have to have one other person, it's, it's really, what it's really saying is relationship is what you need to have two or three or more mm-hmm. to come together. And if you do that, mm-hmm. then all these other things happen, mm-hmm. and then you can bring the kingdom, as you said. So mm-hmm. it's not like to me an exclamation point in the whole Yeah, section. absolutely. Yeah. It just blew me away in a new way that, I mean, relationships are the core of prayer. Mm-hmm. It's the church that has the power. It's Steve. about prayer relationship. Oh, sorry. Yeah. But, you know, you ever get together with a few people that you don't really know so good, and you try to pray? It's like... Yes. Yeah. yeah, you're right. But when you're with people that you have community with, that you live with, that you walk with, prayer comes easy. And there's power. You're so right. You're so right. 
I mean, the Bible is, yeah, Chris. I was going to say, on a large scale, you, yeah. you remember this several years ago, I don't know it was, when all the churches got together to pray concerning the witches that were coming yes. together. And what had happened there was it ended up that the prophetic word came, remember, and it said, you know, just worship, just worship, because the divisions that exist between the churches meant that drain the power that they in other words instead of binding and coming against the enemy yeah there was a word that said that they don't have the, the authority to do that yep. because of the division and the lack of relationship oh. between churches and but worship was the best and you know and god is faithful in that whole thing kind of part. but it was interesting in light of this that even on this that big a scale when the churches are divided and fighting yeah there's no power when they get together that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, God has us so enclosed in love and relationship that everything has got to be done in the context of this. You know? I say, remind me, Chris, because I, I remember, and I, I don't hear me say that, you know, I don't sound self-righteous when I say it, but we were meeting with different churches, and Joe and I went to some of the people that organized the prayer among pastors, and we kept saying to them, listen, what we'd like to do is open our church for a dinner and get together and have some fellowship before we pray, you know? And it, it just, whatever, it didn't happen. And it really got to the point where we just felt like this is, it was just so difficult to pray. We really weren't getting to know each other, you know? It was years before between us having, you know, real conversations. And it's exactly, Steve, I mean, it's really hard to pray. I mean, prayer, I mean, is. It, the deepest parts of your heart, you're connecting with God and with other people. Mm-hmm. You know my old T. T- Austin Sparks analogy? You walk into a church and some churches are cut flowers. What's the other one? Some are plants. So, I mean, either we're a bunch of individuals and we're all pretty flowers. Isn't that nice? We're all pretty flowers. Or we have the same life. I mean, the New Testament doesn't know anything about cut flowers. It knows it knows a community that has a united life. Abide in me. I'm the vine. My father the, is the vine dresser. Abide in me and, uh, and my word and will abide in you. You know, the whole, the whole, he, it wasn't just a nice metaphor. It, it, this is the reality of being united. And when one, when one member hurts, the Bible says, then we all hurt, right? Have you experienced that? I mean, it's real. You don't have to muster it up. It's, it's real. Okay, so tonight we're going to look at, we want to look at the, I want to kind of go a little quickly to one, two, and three to, to get to four. Okay, so we know isolation. It's connections to nobody and to nothing. That's what, it can, that's what isolation is. I'm always alone. I can be in a crowd and still be alone. Um, isn't it interesting, the biblical definition, it's the biblical definition of hell. It's not a cessation of life but a separation from life. Um, so on your own, there's no, no needs being met. Remember, there's no fuel, and you're not having, in this place of connection, you're not having any of your needs met. Okay, so that, that's um, one of the big things. Um, it all depends on you. You're working it all out yourself. It's your willpower. It's you doing it because there's no... Uh, input from outside of you. So um, look at the symptoms, depression, feelings of emptiness, the black hole, severe panic, thought problems. Now, let me read you what it's like to be in a personal relationship with a disconnected person. Interactions that should be fulfilling leave the partner feeling unheard, misunderstood, 
unable to have an impact on the disconnected party, who lacks empathy or expresses it only superficially and is unable to truly be supportive of others. In fact, sometimes those in corner one, this is my own, this isn't yours. In fact, sometimes those in corner one treat others as if they have no feelings, seeming to have no awareness of other people at all. If you're in a relationship like that, you may feel like musician George Thorough good, good when he sings, when I drink alone, I prefer to be by myself. Mm. Does anybody get that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Over time, those in relationship with a disconnected person tend to lose heart and withdraw. We've all experienced somewhere in life being in some sort of significant relationship that was supposed to offer connection but didn't. Even then, though, the search for real con connection continues. And, and let me just stop a second and just add something here. Um, we can change. This is, this is all things that are changeable. I mean, the Lord wants to come in and he wants to change this in our lives. Um, and you may be disconnected in some places and, you know, not disconnect, you may not be disconnected in other places. But, you know, even as Laura mentioned before, the, the insidious thing about it again is that you can be having some of these symptoms and have absolutely no understanding of why, why you're, why you why you're feeling these things um again you can be somebody that's surrounded by a lot of people and you can be and you can feel like well i know that doesn't matter that doesn't it's not speaking to me because you know i have all these friends but that's really not that's really not the issue the issue is that very often people that have a lot of people around them are are disconnected people uh and sometimes we can think um, you know, because of it, we, because we have people around us, we think that we are getting our needs met. Um, sometimes corner one people are people that give a lot to other people. They're always giving to others, and they're unaware of the fact that they can give, but they can't receive. A healthy relationship is giving and receiving. So corner one people often, they give, but they can't receive. Uh, they're not really connecting, uh, and they're, and it's a recipe for burnout. It's a recipe for diminished performance. You know, sometimes we're we're having trouble in a performance area, maybe in our job or something we're looking to do, and we may not connect the fact that our disconnection, because because the power of relationships fuels not only you know, our, us internally, but fuels us in our performance. It, it fuels us and gives us energy to, uh, to move out in, in, um, in, in areas, in, in ways that we're, um, you know, whether it be our career or uh, many, any different way. It's actually helping us in our performance. So isn't that funny? You could be having a problem with something on your job or some way you're trying to move in a certain area that you feel is a talent or a gift you have, and yet you're finding a lot of you're finding a lot of failure. And in reality, isn't it amazing? It could really come back down to the fact that, like this phone, we all need we need power from outside ourselves. Now, again, I just want to say again, you know, this is what the old uh, saints talked about. I mean, the deepest truth of the Christian life is a deep dependence on God. It's a, it's a, it's a, a blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you that are poor in spirit. What do you think the Bible is talking about? It's saying that there should be, that, that the more you walk with God, the more you realize 
that we're dependent on him all the time. We, we have a life that needs we need him all the time. We need him to fill us. We need him to touch us. We need him to change us. We need, we're always looking. We need the power from outside, but we also need the power. I love Henry's words in his book. If you haven't read it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gift. The power of the other. The power of the other. And our, our, as I said, our gifts and talents are hindered by our lack of the fuel we get from healthy relationships that help us in support, they help us in um, encouragement, they help us in feedback, they help us in accountability. You know one way that relationships really help us? True, true relationships, true connections help us? We grow up with, we've talk, we said that before, past injuries in our connections. And everybody in this room and everybody that's human has dark voices and critical voices that we're countering. So one of the ways that relationships help us is by changing, changing the voices and let the, let the new voices overrule mm-hmm. the old, you know how you run over a tape and you, mm-hmm. and you, we used to do those with cassette tapes and you just put it in again and you just went over it, what do you call it? You just taped over mm-hmm. it? This is exactly what a true and a, a connection today does for us. In other words, you know, you've got all kinds of records in your mind that, you know, you're not going to be able to do this and you're not going to succeed at this. So you're not going to, I don't know, it could be anything. You're not going to lose the weight you want to lose. I, I, but when you've got some true connections and you've got a relationship that's a, a good, healthy relationship that says, you know what, you can do this. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, just a little bit of fuzz on the top, hey, you know, this kind of like, uh, just, you know, we're just going to wind each other, tell each other how great we are. No, I'm talking about real relationships where there's support, inspiration, correction, feedback. But people, did I say that we need to be safe? We need to be safe? These are safe. The number four is a safe relationship. It's a place where you can, where you can bring all of your parts to, and you're open to get the, all those parts of somebody else. Talk to me about that. What does it feel like? Do you know somebody that you can bring certain parts of yourself to, but you can't bring another part mm-hmm. to? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Anybody want to? Mm-hmm. Sorry, you guard. You guard it. Trust. There's certain part of me like mm-hmm. I'm not going to bring my weakness to everybody, am I? I'm not going to bring my shame mm-hmm. or my failures to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. There's certain people that you're, you may bring a part of yourself to that you feel that's a safe place to bring it, but you're not going to bring you're not going to bring some other part of you. But, uh, sir, I think what happens is when there's desperation, yeah, and pain, mm-hmm. then people. Don't have a hesitation about going to that person. I can't can't do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, when that devastating feeling comes over you, hopefully it's rare. But when it happens, mm-hmm. you're you're seeking out that true relationship. As well, best you can define mm-hmm. truth. That's right, Joe. You know, because like it reminds me of what I was saying last week about me and, and you yeah. years ago when I was sick. I mean, what happens is when you get desperate, your defense mechanisms come down and that's what happened to me and I 
got in touch with my vulnerable part of myself mm -hmm. that was dead, was buried for many, many years. But when I could, when I found it, I could bring that part to you. Uh, so yes, sometimes we wonder why God allows pain in our lives, but many times pain. It's in pain that we do drop a lot of our defense mechanisms, and we don't understand why God's allowing certain things, but sometimes it really is to help us unearth parts of us that have been buried, mm -hmm. and that only pain is going to get us to a place of being willing to, to go there. Okay, so that's we said that's corner one, isolation. Corner two, bad connections made by living up to the real or perceived expectations of others and earning the relationship. I'll be what anybody else wants me to be so I can be connected. So this has, this is a lot more about, uh, um, we'll take a look at the symptoms, you know, performance orientation. This is a kind of a relationship, I think he puts it in another, in another page, how does Henry put it, in a, a relationship that I may be attracted to or pulls on me. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be an abusive person, but it's a connection, a preoccupation, or a pull toward a person who has the effect of making me feel bad or not good enough. Mm. I want you to think about that because mm. you have you have them in your life or you've had them in your life. Somebody that's in your life and every time you walk away from them, you just don't feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. You feel inferior, mm -hmm. guilty, mm -hmm. angry. Uh, now we're not making that, you know, we're, we're not just saying, well, that person's all bad, but there's something going on between you and this other person that um that is 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 causing it, it's a bad it's it's a it's a performance you either the high expectations you feel like you can do you ever get around somebody maybe it's a parent you just feel like i can never fill their expectations no matter what i do it's just never good enough it's a performance it's a performance relationship that somehow or other would always walk away feeling like i just it don't measure up it just doesn't work Think about it as as you as you read this and time goes on. Um, it, it's it's it doesn't help motivate me uh, at all. It's de-energizing. Um, uh, you'd feel like you can't reach the reach the bar. Think about that for a minute. Certain relationships energize you, and other relationships sap your energy. Mm. Am I right? Yes. This kind of a relationship saps your energy. You walk away, and you are, it, it does something to you. So what, what are we saying? What we're saying is, be aware of it. We've got to be aware of these things so that we can start working on these kind of things. And we can work on this relationship and say, wow, this is a tip-off. My feelings are telling me something. I better find out what this means in this relationship. But it's, it's a performance um, it's a performance or a bad, it's a bad connection. I feel bad about myself. Henry goes on to say, you can have a bad connection with yourself. Mm -hmm. You can have a bad connection with your own critical thoughts. And that will have the exact same effect uh, on you as having a relationship with somebody else. It's critical voices that are in your mind and in your head. We were talking about them before. And what do they do? They take your energy away from you. Mm -hmm. they, um, they, let, they leave you feeling guilty. They leave you feeling inferior. Th this is a, a very common, um, very common. It's, it's absolutely common. Uh, it's short-term fuel, very short-term fuel. Um, 
but it definitely debilitates your performance. Well, you just feel you can never make, you never can live up to anything. Okay, let's get down to the, the third one. It's a pseudo-connection. It's false comforts, false connections with things or people that make me feel good. Now, you've just, we've just talked about two bad things. I, I, don't, I don't feel good when I'm isolated. And I don't feel good when I, when I have a bad connection and I walk away feeling guilty or inferior. But this connection makes me feel good. It's like I'm tired of feeling bad. I want to have a good connection. So this is the kind of connection. This is the kind. Sorry. This is the kind of connection. Um, what are we, what are we looking to? Bible says it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And instead of a connection with God and people, I can connect with, you know, work. I can connect, I can try to connect with, you know, accolades. I can try to connect with, um, you know, um, busyness. I can connect with food. I can connect with drugs. I can connect with porn. I mean, these are things that symptoms, there are addictions that can include, as I said, substance abuse, power sex, busyness, computer games, pornography, self-comfort, inability to have real relationships. Now, the problem with this, it's a sugar high. This third connection is a sugar high. I have it, it feels good for a second, and then it drops you. And then it, it you know what, you know what happens? Actually, I should have said that with connection two. Connection two and three, you know what happens? After after it, you get bummed on it, you go back to corner one. Mm-hmm. You go back to corner one, like mm-hmm. I, this, you know. What what happens after you have just feel guilty uh, on corner three? You've done something you don't want to do. You you feel bad about it. That's the tendency would be to go isolate yourself mm-hmm. and and go to corner one. When you've had the the um, second corner two relationship. And you walk away feeling bad. You feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be your? Wouldn't it be? It makes sense mm-hmm. that your tendency would be to isolate again, mm-hmm. go back to corner one again, right? right? So, fantasies. Um, there could be um, any of those things. So, these are the three: isolation, bad connection, pseudo good connection. I think it's good, you know, um, but it leaves me. It leaves me in a bad. It leaves me in a bad place. Um, let's see, what do we want to hit, finish with that? Um, something else I wanted to say about corner two. Um, okay, let's go to let's go to corner four. Let's head to corner four. Now, corner four is where we want to be. These are real relax, real connections with God and others. My real broken self meets with God and others. Grace and truth allow me to connect with others without condemnation. I come before God and others at my most broken times and receive unconditional love, grace, and mercy. I can be real. And the biblical basis, of course, is why Jesus came and died for us. Symptoms are real emotions surface and no longer need to be held back. It's the process of sanctification and freedom as I sit in his presence. The ability to love others with the love of God and the true the true body of Christ. Now, this is the place where we get ingredients like support. I said before, ownership. We have modeling. We have, and what I said before about the change the voices. Um, Henry talked about a time where um, 
they had a bunch of, of young college students and they were testing them. And um, they had one group that grew up with a critical father and one group that grew up with a very supportive father. And while these kids were taking this test, subliminally, they would flash the father's picture or name on the screen while the kids were taking the test and didn't know it. And it was, in, he said, the results were amazing how much the kids that had the critical thought, the group with critical fathers, when, how it affected them uh, by the father's picture or the father's name or whatever they flashed. These records that we carry around mm -hmm. are so real and they're so insidious because mm -hmm. we don't even recognize that they're there. So when, like I said, when you have a good friend or a new friend in your life or a new conne a true connection that you're bringing your whole self to and, you know, you can bring your struggles and you can bring your fears and your problems to, then uh, literally you can have, as they talk to you and tell you, you know what, you know, you can do this. I know you're struggling with this, Leslie, but you know what? This, this thing that you're working on, you can do this. And what happens is when you have that input and you get that enough, then uh, again, as I said, that voice that gets taped over. I mean, this, the power that we have to affect one another mm -hmm. is absolutely amazing. We want to talk about the power we have in prayer the power we have to, to rewire each other is absolutely amazing. Absolutely. Again, if anybody should believe in the power and the invisible, it should be us. Let me, let me give you some examples. You know, one of the examples, um, I'm going to remember, if you read, how many of you read The Power of the Other? Anybody read mm -hmm. The Power of the Other a little bit? Okay. One of the stories in there, if you remember, was a surgeon. Remember the story about the surgeon? He um, he was also the head of a medical uh, system, and he um, the problem is he was so he he was so involved in adulterous um, affairs in number three connections with so many women in the hospitals, and what happened is it became public, and he was about to lose his business. He was losing his marriage you know, his, his family and, and all of that. And so, um, so when he came to talk to Henry, um, he said, he said to Henry, you know, I'm going to change things. I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm going to turn this around. And Henry said, okay, you know, well, what exactly are you going to do? He said, well, this is my plan. He said, I have a plan. I have a plan. So Henry said, well, tell me your plan. He said, well, Mike, listen, I haven't been giving my, my wife you know, the kind of input, the kind of uh, support that she needs. I'm going to, I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to pray every morning. I'm going to read my Bible. And then when I come home at night, I'm going to sit with my wife and I'm going to, uh, you know, we're going to take walks and we're going to read the Bible together. And um, he said, um, and, and a few things, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to take care of myself. And so Henry said to him, well, you're headed for a heart attack. <laughs> he said, I hate to tell you, you're a cardiologist, but in your language, you're headed for a heart attack. And he was like, well, I don't understand. What are you, you don't like my plan? I mean, I'm going to look at all the things I'm going to do. And Henry said, you're headed for a heart attack because this is all of the things that you have mentioned depend on you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because 
you've been in that condition and you haven't been able to, he came from a very uh, critical father, grew up with all of these past injuries that he didn't even realize he had in his life. And he said, that's the very stress that has been leading you to number three, really connections already. You've been going to fake connections because you haven't had true connections. So what's the answer? The answer is he needed groups, he needed he had a counselor, they had a marriage counselor. What's the answer? The answer is you need help from outside. You need your relationship with God personally. You need a spiritual director or somebody like that that's going to help you get your get your get your connection with God helped. You're going to you need uh, support around you that's going to help you with your your exercise. Henry says this. He said, you know what? It's like um, I mean, if there's something in your life that you just keep saying. You know what? I mean, if you're somebody that wants to work out and get in shape, you're James Lecce, you don't need anybody to tell you what to do. You get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you go to a gym. You know, I, he's crazy. I don't get it. But he can do that. I mean, he's just, John can do the same thing. I mean, these guys, they're just motivated like that, you know? But the thing is this. That's, that may be one area that they can do that. Maybe another area you can do that. But if you can't, if you're busy promising yourself that you're going to do something and you're going to try and you beat yourself up all the time, the answer is you need outside help. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Please, if nothing else I say tonight, one of my frustrations as a counselor is when I sit with somebody that's in a marriage that's in trouble for 20 years and I say, well, guys, how are you doing working it out together? I mean, you're in the same problems you had 20 years ago. You need outside connection somewhere where God can funnel into you and into your relationship some fuel or, or some help that you're not getting now. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and this is the thing that really slays me about the... Um, this is the five steps to the food addiction. Well, let me go to Derek, and then I'm going to come back to this one, too. This is Derek. Recently, I talked with a minister friend who was trying to help another friend lose weight. His friend, whom we'll call Dirk, needed to lose about 100 pounds. Dirk had decided that he needed to make a commitment to God and to his friend to lose the weight, and he was going to go on a diet to that end. Dirk was to be accountable to my friend, to check in every few months to see how he was doing with his plan. I am so tired of hearing about accountability groups like this. You know what it means? (laughs) It means, okay, you go do it, here's the plan, then you come back, now you failed, and now you're accountable, and I say, that's bad, you failed. <laughs> and now you muster up your willpower again, and I say, you need to go back and try harder. Okay, I mean it, this time I'm really going to try harder. You're totally under the law, which is no grace, and the law that, makes, the law that brings death, now, the law is great for a standard. I mean, he does have to lose 100 pounds. It's healthy for him, too. There's no, nothing wrong with the standard that the law brings us. But does the law have power? When you say, don't do that, or just stop doing that, or just make sure you do that, how much, how much power does that have? I mean, Jesus was quite clear. The Old Testament, if he, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die for us if the Ten Commandments were enough, right? Just stop doing this. And do this, and everything will be fine. And he said the law was a tutor to take us to Christ, to make us realize our helplessness. So now we get saved, and now we get saved, and we think, okay, now I'm saved. We go back to the law again. This is all about Galatians. Galatians, who's, 
Who has vexed you that you're going back to the law and using your willpower again? Let's go on. We'll talk about it. Let's see what happens here. So when Dirk checked in, his weight had gone up, had gone not down but up. And when his friend confronted him about the seriousness of the situation, Dirk responded as someone living under the law. I know. I failed. I know this is sin. And that's all it is. I know that God is displeased with me, and I feel terrible. I'm such a sinner. This is really bad. I'm such a sinner. I'll ask God for forgiveness. And I'll do better. I'll really commit this time not only to stick into a diet but also to exercising. Yeah, well, how many have you been there? I've been there. I know I've done wrong and God and failed God and you, and I promise to do better. I told my friend that I could guarantee that Dirk was headed for another failure until he revised his whole belief system. Hang on, this is really important to understand this. He was still under the law and not in grace. First, he felt that God was angry at him for his failure, and therefore he wallowed in guilt. The last thing he suspected was that, was that God was for him and ready to give him undeserved favor. Do you think God was interested in giving him guilt? Or do you think God was interested in helping his son lose the weight? Mm. <clears throat> See what the law does? It makes you so conscious of your efforts that you can't get to the problem. Mm -hmm. It keeps you so guilty and it keeps you so immobilized that you can't get to... It, just, it, it, how, it makes you feel bad about yourself, tells you God feels bad about you, when none of that is true. God's grace toward us God has one interest in this man. He wants him to get free because he wants him to be healthy. Hang on. First he felt that God, I told you, um, he wallowed on guilt. The last thing he expected was God was for him and ready to give him undeserved favor. He was expecting quite the opposite. Second, he still thought that he could earn his way out of his problem by trying harder. He was going to, in Jesus' words, save himself. He was going to try to lose weight by making a deeper commitment. Anybody here mm -hmm. can relate to this? Yeah. Anybody here? Yeah. Nobody? Yeah, yeah. yeah. we good with yeah. Okay. We're in. What would have been a grace response? First, Derek would see that God was not at all angry with him for his failure and was ready more interested in getting healthy than he was. He would not feel condemned. See the advocate walk in, if you, if you remember. And he would not wallow in guilt. He would see God that he could turn to for help. Remember that we can approach a throne of grace? Remember? That's what the Hebrews tell us. There's a throne of grace for us to come to. Grace is undeserved favor. God isn't waiting for us to work it all out. He's waiting for us to come to the, the throne of grace to receive what I don't have in myself, that I have to get from outside. That's why I come to the throne of grace 24-7. God is inclined to help us in our failure, and he sees our inability as a part of reality. He's not mad at our weaknesses. He knows you need them. He knows you're unable to do it. And we think, God's so mad at me, he wants me to do No, no, no. He knows if anybody faces reality, it's, it's, it's God. You know what Henry says? Henry says, if you can't do it, if you, there's something in your life that you know is a good thing to do, and you can't do it, what you need is more structure. That's how Henry puts it. What does that mean? It means you need some sort of plan, and it means that you need help from the outside. You need some help from the outside to give you structure to help you do it. Something you may you may you can do on your own. Maybe you can go to the gym and lose weight and do it yourself, but a lot of us can't. Maybe something else you need structure in your life for. So second, Dirk would see that he's unable to lose weight by his own efforts 
and that he would have come to the end of himself. If he had done this, he would have realized that help was going to have to come from the outside. I described to my friend what the unmerited favor would look like in losing weight. Dirk would have to reach out. Say it with me. Reach out. Dirk would have to reach out. Okay. The support, healing, and structure he needed to lose weight would have to be provided from outside himself, not from his own effort. It's not willpower, it's other power. Um, he needed support and encouragement, so he had to agree to submit to a group or, or a person who could offer that support to the degree he needed it daily, if necessary. This is what the addiction rooms do. This is why 12-step has been so successful. People come together. Here we, in churches, we hide our problems. We don't tell, we don't, we, we're, we feel like we're supposed to look like we have it all together and hide our weaknesses, when in the 12-step rooms, we've said this before, would they come together around their weaknesses and, they, and they, they, have, they normalize the fact that they can't do this themselves and as they do that, that takes all of the, takes all of the guilt off of them and now they can get to the problem. Mm-hmm. And now as they come together and they get something from the outside of them, God comes in, Christ comes in, and the, and the love and support from others comes in, they can now get to the problem, which is, what's the problem behind with Dirk? It was like he needed to deal with the pain and stress driving his need to eat compulsively. He needed a place to process his pain. So once you get the guilt off of you, then you can deal with what's the problem underneath. I'm not processing the pain in my life, and this is the reason why I'm running to... I'm running to you know, number th- connection three, um, or connection two. Mm-hmm. He needed limits and control on his eating, so he needed a structured program in which he could call several people and ask for help at times of temptation. He could not lose the weight on his own. When we first look at having a view of God that affects growth, we must begin with grace, but it has to be grace that is more than just forgiveness. Do you understand what I mean about mm-hmm. accountability? If you come back every time and you just want forgiveness, Okay, God forgives you. I I failed again. And so the person you're accountable to says, okay, you're forgiven. Mm -hmm. Does that help me? All right, is this making sense? Yes. Yes. I don't know. Some of your faces are kind of scaring me. Um, No scary faces. Scary faces? No scary faces. faces. Um, Something I wanted to say, and I lost lost my train of thought. Mommy, you get me to think that... It's like such a yeah. difficult, it's such a delicate yeah. dance between all of this because if you want to get to the true relationship in corner four, which is a true relationship with yourself, then a true relationship with other people, there's tremendous work there, like from my experience being in the middle of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then like, you can't just go to people now because you're supposed to be relational, because if there are people that aren't doing the same work, you're going to end up getting hurt. And yep. it, it breaks down what you're trying to build forward, right? Yes. So it's even in the process of learning who those people are, being able to sniff out yes. kind of where they are, too, mm-hmm. to be able to say, that's a safe person for me to bring that side of myself, yes. or that isn't, as you're discovering it, right? Yes. Because even as you go through this, I can see it in people better now at work or whatever. It doesn't make them bad, but it helps me to avoid the hurts or the drama of 
naively thinking that you can just share with somebody and then being like, oh my God, I didn't expect that because they're not doing that work and not everybody is interested in it. That's right. Unfortunately. That's right. And so to bring that to a church, you don't have to hold, so, so it's hard to, Yes. you can see why his mm-hmm. power gets stunted yeah. because if you don't have everybody embracing this, you know. That's right. That's right. But this is the paradox, Jen. It is a paradox. But this is the paradox, too, because we're talking about needing other people. We're talking the fruit of the spirit of self-control. We'll talk about that in a second, too. But the paradox is that sometimes when you're talking to somebody and you you find something, you know, that you want to confront them about, maybe they're not honest in the relationship. Sometimes a nudge from somebody or sometimes sharing with somebody, you know what, for me, my value in a relationship is really honesty. Mm-hmm. And when you did that or you said that, that really, but I know honestly, to have a relationship for me, honesty is just too big a value for me. Uh, how do you feel about it? Maybe that person might, might respond with, wow, I didn't realize that. And, you know, I never thought about it. You know, because honestly, guys, most of us, we don't think deep enough about what are your values? What values are you bringing to a relationship that you're saying, you know, this is what a relate to me, I want to be a part of a relationship. You know, and if there's no honesty in the relationship, honestly, I, you know, I have to reconsider. I have to, you know, I wouldn't be able to navigate a relationship with you. But I, you know, I could see at times in my life that maybe I just didn't get it, or well, it wasn't. the first sentence you read at the beginning of the yeah. night that says that you don't want to, what was that? You don't want to be, you don't want to make drama. You don't want to make yeah. drama. So you, yeah. you read that before. Yes, and that's that, right. that whole yeah. paragraph keeps that's right. you from yes. doing what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, what I'm saying is, we can really help somebody. Like, in other words, maybe give them a chance and say, you know what? I'm really looking to connect on a deeper level with some people, and I'm kind of feeling like, gee, you know, I mean, you don't want to be, you know, like, oh, this, oh, 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 have a little sentence. Oh, I want to connect. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm not talking about that. But if there's somebody that you're feeling close, to, you know, closer mm-hmm. to, and you see the connections getting stronger, but then when something go, when something, some, you know, something that you consider a real violation, they talked about you, you found out to somebody else, something happened that you'd have to, but is the answer to just go isolate? Is the answer to just drop it and just walk away? Or is the answer to face that person? Because guys, this is one of the things I want to say as we, as we start to, you know, leave here tonight and come to an end to this tonight. There's no place in the whole Bible, and certainly not in the New Testament, where God says, just put your head in the sand when it comes to sin, mm-hmm. or, or uh, selfishness, mm-hmm. or you name it. We're n- iron sharpens iron. And we can stay off in our little islands and stay disconnected and think we're doing just fine. But when you, you know, you don't know how, how um, clumsy your servant is until you ask him to go do something for you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, we don't know about ourselves and we don't know things about ourselves until we start to go and do things and risk ourselves and, and do things. Well, I'm saying don't don't throw somebody off the boat right away because you feel like, um, well, you know, uh, they have to have all this list for you. Mm-hmm. Start negotiating, start talking about it. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's somebody who's got a good a good-willed person who actually wants to get have deeper relationships mm-hmm. and doesn't realize that it's something about themselves that's a real weakness. They talk behind people's back, mm-hmm. or they lie and they don't. And you have to say, well, you know what? I, I really, I found out, you know, that was a lie, and you know, I don't want to be self-righteous. And but isn't it? Wouldn't it be great? Mm-hmm. If we can be able to do this without shaming each other mm-hmm. and judging each other 
and you know it, it it's like okay you know you're you're screaming you know you're we're in an argument and you're and Jack's raising his voice and saying things to me you know we can just say you need to just stop this and until you stop doing this and and we can just keep you you youing but honestly when we get to the place where we say you know what that's just the value I have in, in relationships and as long as you're going to speak to me like that I'm not going to be in the room I mean we're in control of ourselves. And we've got to decide what we're going to have in relationships and what we're going to have in relationships. Am I right? Yes. The point is this. Wouldn't it be great if we could really foster this kind of a culture in our, tr- in our church? Well, we could be have a non-judgmental, uh, you know, where we can not, not be condemning each other, but giving each other honest feedback about things in our lives and be able to give it and receive it, right? I mean, that's really the kind of community mm-hmm. that God, I mean, I was, you know, I was looking at today, I haven't read it in a long time. Uh, one of you guys can tell me where it is, well, what chapter in the book of Exodus. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira mm-hmm. lied to the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit and the power of God was so moving that at that point in the early church, that they died. I mean, <laughs> the husband yeah. was taken out and the wife was taken out right mm-hmm. after him. I mean, you know, we look at things and say, oh, it's, you know, mm-hmm. the body of Christ is supposed to be perfecting one another. Mm-hmm. What, what do we usually do? We see something that's glaring mm-hmm. in somebody near us. What's, what's mm-hmm. our first inclination? What? Judge him? Internally, we judge him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But what do we do to help the brother or the sister? Mm-hmm. Do we do we care enough mm-hmm. to iron sharpens iron to mm-hmm. say to go to that person and bring them grace mm-hmm. and say, you know what, mm-hmm. you know this is. Could we talk about this? Like, can I give you some feedback about that? Mm-hmm. And of course, we have to be able to give and take it, right? Mm-hmm. But brothers and sisters, no connection is a bad place to live. A bad connection is a bad place to live. And a lot of us are living in, in, in number three, pseudo-connections where we're medicating ourselves on things and we don't, busyness is a very big medication today that we're, places that we're living. Um, what we really want is to be people that are really experiencing really healthy give and take connections. That's what bonding is about. That's what connection is about. I'm going to ask you, um, I think we're going to wrap this up tonight, this uh, bonding part. Mm. I'm going to ask you to take your workbook, if you haven't if you haven't bought it, to buy yourself one. I'm going to ask you to go and use your, use your proactivity and ask a couple of people in this room if they would be in a group with you, and you'll go th- and go through the few chapters on bonding in the workbook. Mm-hmm. You meet, meet, meet maybe four times together or something. Uh, a, a meeting uh, for each chapter. You meet one one meeting for each chapter. I hope that you we don't. What I don't want to see us do is just you know. There's only so much. I mean, you know, I've got DVDs of Henry and John talking about this stuff in an hour. They're talking about stuff. We've talked about it in seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And you can't even possibly scratch the surface of this stuff. So I, I hate to see you just, you know, end here and, and it's over. I'm asking you for your sake, mm-hmm. take a hold of the material. We can sit in this material, honestly. 
again, every time I bring myself to this material, I, I, there's things I'm learning that I've never learned before. I think I'm going to end it here tonight, yeah, because I, I really wanted to um, touch the four different uh, areas of connection. I, I think so. I think so. We're going to end here. What I'm going to do then in what I'm going to do then in in the winter, the end of January, I'm going to come back and do the third stage of of um, of uh, good and evil, negotiating good and evil. And when you hear that, you're like, what is that? I mean, like, I don't, well, I don't need that one. Let me tell you, for most, many people in this room, third stage, navigating good and evil will be the most powerful stage that you have, that you, talking about idealism and perfectionism and negativism. I, many, for me, for me, I've touched every single one of these and they've been impacted me every single stage. But in, in January and February, I'm going to put all the classes together. I'm going to put my Saturday class together with this class, and we're going to do third stage. And then after we finish third stage, I'm going to take my I'm going to take this group and do boundaries. You're going to be doing boundaries out of order, but it really doesn't matter. It makes no difference. Somebody has something to say on keeps going. I was just going to say yeah. something that keeps coming back to my mind is just that you know, one yeah. of the things I'm hearing because you said yeah. we want this group to be just kind of like a little loud because we want this to be this kind of church yep. where we come together we can share it with authenticity. Um, relationships are funny because we start them as soon as we're born and I think we get deceived in thinking that we're good at we're good at them because we, we have them all, they're all around us. And so and That's right. we do them good, bad, or different, right. but we think we're good at them because we've been doing them all our life. And the thing that keeps hitting me that's interesting to me is think about you know the world's best opera singer, yes. the best golfer, the best athlete, the best, every single person that's good at anything has a coach. They have a they have somebody exactly like right. they have a person mm -hmm. in their life mm -hmm. that's right. that they go to mm -hmm. and they're the best. That's right. And they still go to somebody else that's right. mm -hmm. and they say That's good. I need yeah. work on this. I need you know what do you and they, yeah. or they listen and just say, What do you see? Right. And that person gives them feedback and they listen to them and even though they're the best, mm -hmm. but they still take that feedback mm -hmm. and they use it. Mm -hmm. And this this group is like that mm -hmm. to me, or this church really is yeah. when we talk about this stuff. This is your coaching. Mm. This is God opening That's doors in our lives to yeah. say, I see this in your yes. life and I want to, you know, and, 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 and different than what you said, because I've been, you know, my personal thing this year has been a lot of um, letting God talk to me about the performance thing is not necessary and letting him love me and it's accepting and, you know, a lot, and some stuff that I've been doing work with and reading. And so yep. it's, it's yep. really freedom. But it also is a new world of it's a new way of life to get to that fourth level. But it starts with, you know, everybody was saying, just being open to be authentic and real. You know. But you hit the nail on the head. I mean the best of the best best have coaches. Henry says that all the time. And but we uh, think we don't need them because right. we, you know, we do really know. Mm -hmm. It's like the phone. I'm going to be stuck here, and I'll have a, I'll have a few mm -hmm. programs I can do, but I'll never know what this phone can do unless I'm connected to some. But it's mm -hmm. our marriages, it's our kids' relationships, mm -hmm. it's our careers. It's you know okay. we go through everything thinking, well, I'm, it's okay. That's right. You know, no, I'm doing all right. Mm -hmm. And we realize that God, and that's why the Bible says, you know, God, what, what we want, God. It has so much more for us if we would just allow it. Yes. You know, in my own personal life, I mean, I'm in kindergarten, but as a pastor who has this burden, it's one of my biggest burdens. I mean, why isn't the whole church here? 
who are the people who think they don't need something from the outside? My frustration is, and then, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting any of it down, I'm not criticizing anybody, but there'll be people who want counseling, and I'm like, but these are the answers. Do you know what I'm saying? But, uh, uh, you know, start working on this stuff, and if we don't, as a church, yeah. embrace this kind of, you know, we don't embrace this and understand that this is so, you cannot be spiritual mm-hmm. and emotionally immature. Mm-hmm. If love is the first two commandments, love God and love others, mm-hmm. what what do we think love is? I mean, love is for connect true for connections, true connections. Mm-hmm. So if loving people is a skill, loving is it learning, isn't it? Isn't don't you have to learn things and learning mm-hmm. to love people and yes. and failing and finding out things mm-hmm. about yourself and learning what love means and I mean, if we don't do this, we're really deceived about our spirituality. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, I did want to read you this. You know the food addiction that I ripped up. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what it says. This was in charisma. This was in charisma. Now take compare this to what I read about Dirk and having to lose weight, right? right. So Dirk had a support group. Mm-hmm. He needed people in his life to, to report to, right? Mm-hmm. He needed to, uh, to come and accept the grace of God. Did I finish reading that? Dirk was in denial of his need for grace. He still thought he could lose weight on his own. He had not been brought to the end of himself and his ability. I told my friend that he was going to have to lay down the law for Dirk. By that, I did not mean he should say, go and lose weight. What I did mean was that he should say, you are failing in your attempts to change. Mm. And you had better realize that you'll not lose weight by trying harder. You need help. This would cut through Dirk's denial and get him to the end of himself. Confrontation is an important tool to get someone to see his inability to change and to see his need for help. Many people are too soft-hearted. They give encouragement to someone who needs discouragement instead. To encourage a powerless person to try harder is one of the worst things you can possibly do. The best thing you can do is to discourage him from believing he can do it on his own. Turn to somebody and say, did you just hear what she just said? Now listen, this is the one that was in charisma. This is what charisma said. Okay, five steps to freedom from your food addiction. Sorry if I ain't here with the food addiction thing tonight. I don't know, everything came up with food addiction. Recognizing an addiction. First thing, you have to recognize your addiction. Okay, I can do that. I can, I can find the things in my life I can't handle, right? Five-step plan for freedom from food addiction. Name what controls you. Okay, I'm naming it. Name the thing controlling you. Food addiction, eating disorder for food, stronghold. Declare out loud that Jesus is your Lord in its place. Stand up to the issue and bring bondage into your life by saying, Food addiction, you won't lord it over me nor entice me anymore. Jesus is my Lord. How many have tried? How many have done this here? I've done that. I've done all of those things. Get ready for you're capable of evicting the addiction from your life. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you and the Spirit is stronger than Satan. And day after day, declare out loud that Jesus reigns as the Lord of your life, not the food addiction. None of this is wrong. And maybe some people can do this. In some area, but you can't do it. In, God's going to make sure that you're going to find That's areas right. that you can't do it in to show you how much you need. That's Next right. thing is submit yourself entirely to God. Have you tried that? Mm-hmm. I've done that. Yeah. Use the name of Jesus. Have you, have you done, yeah, that? done that? Okay. Done that. Use the word of God. Have you done that? Done that, done that. Praise God and, and, and practice gratitude. Have you done that? Yeah. Put the right things in your spirit. Mm-hmm. Have you done that? Yeah. 
every day write down those things that you're grateful for. Okay. That's the answer. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Have you tried it? Yeah. I've tried check, it. It's about a thousand check, different check, things check, in a doubt. What are they missing? Mm-hmm. Connection. Connection. Outside help. Yeah. If, you, if you can do it yourself and trust God, and, and, and some people can in certain issues, yeah. but if you can't, if your marriage is in trouble, and you don't feel like if from, you know, remember my old Henry story. The couple walked in, and he says, uh, okay, to one to ten, how's your marriage? What, and he says, well, what, would you, what kind of marriage would you want from one to ten, ten being the best? Well, we want a ten. And he says, oh, well, you want a ten marriage. That's going to be a problem because you're both threes. What, what do we expect if we're not working on ourselves? And, and we're both threes, and then we expect to come together in a marriage, and we're emotionally retarded in certain ways, mm-hmm. individually, then we think coming together is everything that's going to be yeah. ducky. No, your stuff is going to land on my stuff, and my stuff is going to land on your stuff. Mm-hmm. So we want to be healthy. We want healthy relationships with the Lord, first of all. And if you're living by the law, yeah. you're not going to have a healthy relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel constantly, mm-hmm. you're going to have a bad relationship where you're always feeling guilty, are angry or judged because you're living under the law. And we, you know, I'm going to tell James, he needs to do a whole series on, on, um, on Galatians. Jenny, on really I was just going to say, it's amazing to think that you try to have to convince people that this is important when our country talks about the fact that we're in a, um, January. in a mental crisis. We all talk yeah. about it. And there isn't, we don't have enough, you know, um, staffing in the schools to deal with the tremendous amount of anxiety. Bob probably knows well, you know, like it's it's an all-time high, the crisis of, for children. It's on the front pages of magazines and and so Suicide. this is, yeah, no, it's to the world, and that's why people are snapping, and then we, we deal with the, with the, you know, going in and shooting up places. I mean, it's at an all-time, so, so it's crazy that we'd have to convince people that things are being buried or we're not dealing with things or that parents shouldn't be in here because if you can teach your children how to deal Mm -hmm. with social, the reason why our girls have body dysmorphia and depression because of the things on social media and people feeding a monster to say you look good when they don't really tell you the truth, that they think you're nuts that you post every day or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you you know, you realize Mm -hmm. it's, it's a disease and we should be here as parents trying to get healthy to be able to teach our kids that and get to the real them and the false, you know. So it, it, you don't have to try to apologize for why or why the womb isn't full, I don't know. But but it, it's tr- it's the church's answer to save a dying world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is. You know, Jen, Linda said it at the beginning, mm-hmm. the powers yeah. against yeah. all her life I've heard mm-hmm. her talk about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. always feeling you know, right. put down Hard. because mm-hmm. this was such a burden in yeah. her heart. Mm-hmm. It's the powers yeah. of this age, yeah. the end days, that are coming and get all of those symptoms yeah. mm-hmm. are the powers fighting against this reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because when you were saying earlier that, you know, what if you can't find the right person to kind of yeah. do this with and then you and the pastor said, Yeah, and you end up isolating more. Yeah. And I'm thinking we just learned some life skills last yeah. Saturday on how to have good confrontational conversations. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what a gift yeah. this is. Mm-hmm. How rare it is. And all night I've been thinking of Jim Jorgensen's prophetic word over you and Pastor Joe the last time he was here. <clears throat> he prayed for you at the end. 
And his word was, this is a healthy church. And he kept saying, he said it about three times repetitively. And this is why. And guys, it came out of my own dysfunction, and it came out of my own pain. That's all I can tell you. This wasn't just a book I got because I wanted to teach you about it. This was me looking for, it was me looking outside for help in my own life when I found Henry and John. And, and it said, no, of course I have a burden for it. I have a burden for it. I mean, that's why even a, an addiction group, I mean, I don't know, we'll, we'll be talking about, you know, I, I don't know, we'll see what the Lord does, but to have an addiction group without understanding these issues when, when third connection is all about addictions, you're going to something because you're not having healthy, true connections with God and with others. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you know, it's, it's false sugar high, false sugar high you know. True. So, yeah, Jack. Yeah, um, I just heard a, yeah. a, a sermon on a kiss of the spirit. Yeah. And um, the, the point was is that so many of us feel that uh, you know, we'll pay for the gifts. Yeah, we, we want them all. I mean, yeah. Uh, but he was saying that the receiving of the gift is, is not the end result. Is that you need to take the gift and turn it into a skill, because you can have any gift you want. You can never take it out of the box. It's not going to do anybody any good whatsoever. So the acquiring of the gift in and of itself is, is should not be the goal. It's the refinement of it and the using of it. Mm-hmm. And you, when you get a gift, you are receiving. And when you use your gift for the better of somebody else, they are receiving. You are giving it away, which is yes. the basis of the relationships. Yeah, the body of Christ. We all need each other's mm-hmm. gifts, don't we? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I kept this a little longer because we're wrapping up tonight. Anybody else want to? I, I thank you for coming. Thank you for your support and your encouragement. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Did you, oh, do you want to say something? <laughs> oh, you're, you're getting ready to leave. John, let you stand up and, and release us in prayer. That's like your Baptist church. I, I, I was like, oh, he's like, oh, thank God. I was testify. Yeah. <laughs> And nobody's challenging each other, exactly. and nobody's, yeah, that's right, that's right. So you're in a dead end. That's right. So how about us thinking about that, you know, about challenging challenging one another when we leave here? I mean, what I pray is that the materials we have, we don't just let, you know, sit idle, and that we really let God use them in our lives and, and with each other. So I'm really hoping yes. when you leave here, there's going to be a couple of people yes. that you have a slight connection with mm-hmm. here. And you just don't let it die, yes. you know, that you don't let it die. Yeah. So, something else I want to say, but I can't remember. Johnny, will you say some prayer? Yeah. Well, Father, we just come to you as a group tonight, Lord, and mm-hmm. we just, um, we lay our hearts on the altar, Father. And we thank you that your word even said, Father, that you didn't come just to give us life, but to give us abundant life, yeah, Lord. Right. And we just, mm-hmm. we know that in abundant life comes relationship, Father. And 
that that life is experienced through your, our relationship with you and our relationship with others. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would um, put these truths that we heard tonight deep in our hearts, mm-hmm. Father, that they would not be stolen by the enemy, mm-hmm. that we would use them, as, mm-hmm. as Jack said, as these gifts are doled out, Father, that we would just take them and use yep. them and, yeah. and and sharpen them with each other and that we, we would get to a new place in each other's lives where we could um, share openly, be authentic, and in turn also be that way with you, Father, that our masks right. would come off, that we yeah. would just be ourselves and, and rest in your grace and your mercy. And your and your peace and your truth, Lord. Instead of always performing, and you know, the world uh, gives us the exact opposite yep. uh, mm-hmm. uh, diagnosis or the uh, prescription to just keep trying and doing things, Lord. We know right. your your yoke is easy and your burden mm-hmm. is light, Lord. And so, mm-hmm. Lord, just uh, give us uh, safe travels tonight, mm-hmm. Father. And as we go about this week, Lord, just continue to bring these truths to to light mm-hmm. in our minds and in, and even our relationships as mm-hmm. we converse with friends and family yeah. and people and we're co-workers lord that you would just point things out to us that your holy spirit would speak mm-hmm. that's right and we hold it and we hold your name up in yes. Jesus. Amen. Amen.